young woman moves abroad looking for adventure, but instead she's murdered in her apartment. This is the 1988 murder of Carolyn Abel in South Korea. Hi listeners, welcome to the first episode of Crimes Untold. I'm your host Kat. Crimes Untold is a weekly true crime podcast that presents cases you've never heard of before. I seek to give a voice to cold cases, missing persons, and everything in between. If you want to hear about cases that have never been told, then Crimes Untold is your newest true crime podcast obsession. If you want to support the show, then you might want to support us on Patreon for a monthly subscription with benefits like ad-free exclusive episodes, merch, and choices on what episodes we'll cover next. Besides supporting the show on Patreon, you can also share the show with friends and family and give a five-star rating and leaving reviews wherever you get your podcasts. Please find links to our Facebook page, Instagram, and all of the social media in this episode description below. This episode contains disturbing and violent themes that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. All information gathered in this episode is from public open sources. While discussing this case, the utmost respect is given to the victims, their families, friends, and loved ones. To understand this crime and the victim, first we have to discuss the time and location in which it occurred. In 1988 in Seoul, South Korea, the Olympic Games arrived in the capital, and no one could predict the major impact the Olympics would have on the social and political atmosphere of the entire country. The Summer Olympics catapulted South Korea to international attention, making South Korea the second Asian country to host the Games at the time. After South Korea won the bid to host the Games, North Korea wanted to co-host, which was a strange move considering the long-running political tension between the two neighboring nations. But it was unsuccessful anyway. I don't really think that South Korea was okay with having them, you know, co-host the Games. The Olympics wasn't the only thing that happened in the 1980s that would be remembered in South Korea's history. Another major event was the Gwangju Uprising, a mass protest against the South Korean military government that happened in the city of Gwangju from May 18th to May 27th, 1980. According to a Britannica article, nearly a quarter of a million people were a part of the uprising. The importance of this event will forever be marked as a major step towards democracy in South Korea. The Olympic Games shifted the image of a war-torn and poverty-stricken country to one that was making changes politically to become socially forward-thinking and that eventually led to the South Korea we know today. A nation known for K-pop, Korean dramas, shopping, nightlife, food, and the skincare industry, as well as an obsession with plastic surgery. Now that you guys know what was happening in the 1980s in South Korea, let's finally look at the victim. Carolyn Joyce Abel was born on June 21, 1962, in Seattle, Washington. At the time of her murder, she was 26 years old. Her mother, Evelyn Abel, and her father, Dr. Francis L. Abel, divorced at some point during her childhood, but it's not clear when. Eventually, her father remarried to Carolyn's stepmother, Dr. Ann Abel. Carolyn also had a maternal grandmother, Mary Schrauser. It's not clear where she was age-wise with her siblings, but she did have two sisters, Wanda Abel and Donna Browse, and a half-brother, Jonathan Abel. Sometime during her childhood, she moved and grew up mostly in the Indianapolis area until her family settled in West Lafayette in 1974. Carolyn caught the travel bug when she was still in high school. When during her junior year at West Lafayette High School, she spent a summer in Denmark as an exchange student. 
after that, I think she knew what she wanted, and that was to travel the world. So Carolyn returned to West Lafayette High School, where she graduated in 1980, and quickly enrolled herself into an intensive course in German at the University of California, Santa Cruz, but later attended the Schiller University in Heidelberg, West Germany. But it's not clear from the sources when she made this transition between the two universities. I'm inclined to believe she completed her studies at the University of California, and then attended the university in Germany. Carolyn wasn't done achieving her educational goals. In 1982, she attended the Parsons School of Design in Paris until she completed her course in 1984. Soon after, she started working at Parsons School of Design in New York City in 1986. Carolyn was described by family, particularly by her sister Wanda, as restless in an interview with CBS 48 Hours. She couldn't stay put in one place too long before she craved her next adventure. Besides her dedication to education, Carolyn was creative and majored in photography while at college. After her college graduation, she spent a summer working in England and even took graduate courses at the University of Lyon and Alliance France, both in Lyon, France. But returned to the U.S. and joined the Peace Corps, where she taught English in Nepal. After her time at the Peace Corps, she attended the University of Oregon, where she joined a group called the Legacy International. The group's mission was teaching leadership and personal growth to international students. Carolyn continued to work with Legacy International as she spent the summer of 1987 as a camp counselor for the group in Virginia. While at this position, she worked with international students and taught them photography while serving as the official camp photographer. And one of the things that she had to do was to record the activities the students were doing at the camp. After her summer gig as a camp counselor ended in 1987, she took a teaching job in Japan where exactly has not been mentioned in any of the sources, but I'm assuming it's in Tokyo. So while in Japan, she meets Tomoyuki Ayaki, a customs agent, and their relationship became serious quite quickly, and Tomoyuki even proposed to Carolyn. In an interview with 48 Hours, Tomoyuki described Carolyn as cheerful and funny. Carolyn didn't give Tomoyuki an answer because she didn't know if she was going to be happy being married and living in Japan, according to her sister Wanda, in the same interview with 48 Hours. I guess Carolyn wanted some time to think seriously about this next step in her life, and Tomiyuki didn't want to pressure her. Carolyn accepts an offer for another teaching job in Seoul, South Korea. Carolyn continued a long-distance relationship with Tomiyuki while he stayed in Japan. In the fall of 1988, Carolyn started her teaching job in Seoul. She worked for a teaching company often called Hagwons in Korean, which are teaching and tutoring after-school services for students of all ages to receive extra help in their learning. According to Nancy Pokar, um, Carolyn's colleague, the first day she walked into the staff room at English language school, she was a breath of fresh air. They also described her as a Farrah Fawcett look-alike. So besides Nancy, there was Carolyn's other colleagues, Sandra Ames, Tamara Doak, and Kathy Patrick, who was the head teacher at ELS. They had nice things to say during the interviews with 48 Hours. According to them, Carolyn was able to make her students laugh and sing and enjoy learning English, which isn't always easy to do. Carolyn made friends with everyone, but became really close with Kathy Patrick, who I mentioned was the head teacher at the school. So Carolyn and Kathy even traveled together and went to parties and spent a lot of time together and became pretty good friends. 
So the weekend of December 17th, 1988, three days before Carolyn's murder, Sandra, Kathy, Carolyn, and some of their Korean students went to the mountains for a trip. And of course, Carolyn, you know, took photos of those moments and the group went to temples, they hiked, and then they spent the evenings partying. So it sounds all good. Everything's fine for now. Um, so winter break is approaching, so classes were becoming less frequent and Carolyn was expecting Tomoyuki to arrive in Seoul, South Korea because he wanted to get an answer for his proposal because remember, she never gave him an answer. A few days later, on December 20th, alarm bells went off when Carolyn didn't show up to work. But this wasn't completely strange because as Nancy puts it, it's common sometimes for teachers to miss work for different reasons. Sandra says she wasn't concerned at the time, but Kathy was sure something was wrong because she couldn't get Carolyn on the phone. More on these two later. Just, just wait for it. So at the school, everyone is sort of worried, but not really, because like I said, Kathy was um, the only one that was really worried about Carolyn. Um, but she even asked the other teachers if they knew what was going on. And of course they didn't. And after that, Sandra and Kathy and three male students um, drove to Carolyn's apartment building to check on her and see, you know, if she was okay. When they arrived, the door was actually already open, which isn't normal for Caroline to leave her door open. So Kathy was the first person who went into the apartment. And according to Sandra, she beelined towards Carolyn's bedroom. And when she came out, she said, and I quote, Carolyn's dead. We need to call an ambulance. No, we need to call the cops, unquote. That's what Sandra says Kathy said. I'm not sure if those were her exact words, but it was, I suppose, along those lines. Kathy kept everyone away from the bedroom and the body of Carolyn. When the From the state of the room, it was clear to see that Carolyn fought for her life. She suffered a number of defensive wounds and the scene in her room showed signs of a struggle between Carolyn and the killer. She was stabbed 30 times, including a fatal cut to her throat. Blood splatter could be seen on the bed and on the walls, so the whole scene was pretty horrific for anyone to walk into. Shockingly, the press were allowed to enter and take photos of Carolyn's bedroom while the South Korean police were still collecting evidence in the same room. With growing media attention, the case was all over the national news in South Korea within a few hours. On the news, Carolyn's colleagues and friends could see the violent scene in the bedroom and her body being taken out of the apartment in a body bag. I can't imagine how traumatizing this was for them and for her family who were in the U.S. While the investigation was happening, Carolyn's friends and family was wondering who would have killed such a sweet person. And if the killer was still out there on the streets, who would be the next target? Was he attacking foreigners? Was it a Korean person who hated the presence of Americans in the capital enough to murder? These were just some of the questions Carolyn's colleagues and friends were wondering. Tamara and Nancy were worried about Kathy and Sandra because they found the body of Carolyn and both were described as being very hysterical and almost close to a nervous breakdown as they were close to Carolyn and finding the friend like that would have been horrific for them. Now, it's been a few days after the murder of Carolyn and Kathy Patrick decides to have a memorial service to honor her friend and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. But Kathy went a step forward and wrote a letter to Carolyn's parents, which Wanda kept to this day. In the 48 Hours interview, Wanda reads from the letter which says, and I quote, Please know that I loved Carolyn as a sister and a dear friend. My roommate and I are the two people who found Carolyn in her apartment. Let me know if I can tell you anything, unquote. 
So it seems that some information in that sentence was redacted for privacy reasons, but you guys get the message. It seems Kathy was reaching out to offer her support to Carolyn's family. Meanwhile, in Japan, Tomoyuki was notified of Carolyn's murder, but he still made the trip to Seoul and even stayed with Kathy and Sandra. During the 48 hours interview, he couldn't help but tear up over 30 years later. In Seoul, people were talking about the murder and everyone had their suspicions on who could have done it. And the police were investigating everyone. So everyone was a suspect, especially people that worked with Carolyn. And Nancy remembers that the police started to ask really strange questions, like if she was secretly working for the FBI and why she was really in their country. This line of questioning caused frustration from the foreigners who didn't understand why the police were focusing on them and not out hunting the real killer. A phone call pushes the investigation towards a new direction. More after this quick break. It's not clear when, but while the colleagues were being investigated, Nancy receives a call from a Korean woman who said that she knew who killed Carolyn. She pointed the finger at an American military officer. Nancy informed the police with this new piece of information. The police had to bring in detectives from the U.S. Army who had their own separate system when it came to investigating army officers. The guy they sent was John Boatwright, who was a well-known chief of detectives from the Army's Criminal Investigation Division within South Korea. He quickly eliminated the military officer accused of committing the crime. It turned out that the caller was the officer's ex-girlfriend who was upset over their breakup and wanted to take revenge against him. He didn't even know Carolyn. I'm sure this caused frustration over time, wasted investigating the wrong person. Three weeks after the murder, the autopsy results came in, which stated the cause of death was a fatal stab to her right lung. But according to Detective John Boatwright, it was his opinion that her throat was cut after her death, which was very strange. Her time of death was not confirmed from the sources, but this becomes a bit more clear later on. Another theory of Detective Boatwright was that Carolyn knew her killer. There was no forced entry into her apartment. She most likely let her killer in. Adding some believability to his theory was the two coffee cups found in the room. It was clear that Carolyn was comfortable enough with the killer to sit and drink coffee. Detective Boatwright decided to look at those closest to Carolyn, and while in South Korea, those people were her colleagues and friends. Like South Korean detectives before him, he suspected someone in her close group of friends, particularly the two women who discovered Carolyn's body, Kathy Patrick and Sandra Ames. Now, this is the crazy part, at least to me. Before Detective Boatwright could even question Kathy Patrick, she left Korea and flew back to her hometown of Washington State. According to Nancy, Kathy had lost significant weight and looked like she would break at any moment. They all encouraged her to leave and go home, thinking they were supporting a friend who had experienced the horrific loss of her friend. At the time, Korea and the U.S. did not have an extradition agreement, so Kathy could not be investigated. So Detective Boatwright had no choice but to focus more on his other suspect, Sandra Ames, who was still in Seoul. After giving her statement to Detective Boatwright, he asks her right out if she killed Carolyn. And apparently she just stares at him for a long while and says no. Of course, he finds her behavior abnormal. Two months after the murder, she waived her right to an attorney and sat to take a lie detector test. 
When she was asked if she knew where the murder weapon was, she said no, and you guessed it, guys. She was lying. When she insisted she was telling the truth, they took the test again, but with the same results. At that time, she says, and I quote, let me tell you about this picture in my head, unquote. Apparently, the picture she's referring to is the dark shape of a body on a bed covered by a quilt. Detective Boatwright pushes her for more details. She changes her story and confesses to almost everything. So, Sandra is sleeping in her bed in the apartment, she says, with Kathy. When Kathy comes into the room to tell her that she thinks that she killed Carolyn, and instead of freaking out or calling for help, Sandra asks her what she used to kill Carolyn with. And when Kathy says it's a knife, Sandra asks what she did with the weapon. Kathy says that she left it in the kitchen sink. So Sandra, apparently in disbelief, asks Kathy to take her to Carolyn's apartment, where she found the viciously attacked body of Carolyn on the bed, covered in blood. Sandra and Kathy end up just sitting in Carolyn's living room when her body was just a few feet away. Sandra claims Kathy manipulated her into helping her make the murder look like a robbery gone wrong. Detective Boatwright later says that during the questioning, Sandra's first re reaction was to touch Carolyn's arm, and when she realized she was still warm, Sandra knew that Carolyn might still be alive and might testify against Kathy. So she went into the kitchen and got a knife to cut her throat. This explains why Carolyn's throat was cut after she had already died. This leaves the time of death just hours after Kathy had come into Sandra's room. Still, I'm not sure about this, and for some reason, it's never really mentioned in any of the sources, so her time of death is a bit sketchy here. Sandra's story changes once again. She later claims in her statements that Kathy admitted to cutting Carolyn's throat, and the reason she said otherwise during the questioning was because of false memories implanted by the police. The only thing that stays consistent in her story is her presence at the crime scene that night and her handling of the murder weapon. She told detectives she cleaned the bloody knife and returned it to the dish rack. Why did Sandra cover for Kathy? Well, Sandra says she didn't even remember anything about the crime and that her memories were suppressed until it all came back to her during the interview with Detective Boatwright. Like I said, detectives didn't believe much of Sandra's story except for the details that never changed, like how Kathy woke her up and confessed to murdering Carolyn, and how they both staged the scene to make it look like a robbery to cover up the murder, and evidence pointed to that version of the story being the truth. The more detectives spoke to Sandra, the more her story changed so that she had less and less involvement in what happened to Carolyn. However, she insisted Kathy was the killer and her only crime was helping after she had murdered Carolyn. Detective Boatwright believed that the murderer was Kathy Patrick who got away with it. Sandra was kept in house arrest in Seoul for five months and in July 1989, she pleaded guilty to harboring a criminal and suppressing evidence. She sentenced to one year in prison, too short of a time in my opinion. The real question remained. Why would Kathy kill Carolyn? Detectives uncovered something interesting. So Tamara, remember her? She's one of the colleagues at ELS. Anyway, she informs police that Kathy fell for Carolyn and not many people at the school knew that Kathy was gay. Tamara was one of the few that did know. Kathy would come to her and tell her how much she liked Carolyn and that Carolyn might like her back. But Carolyn had no interest in Kathy. Eventually, Kathy tells Tamara that she knew Carolyn didn't have any interest in her, but 
Detective Boatwright theorizes that Kathy and Carolyn were at the apartment and that Kathy tried to make a move on Carolyn. But when she was pushed away and rejected, Kathy was so angry that she had lost control and killed Carolyn, according to Detective Boatwright. But to me, what makes more sense is that Kathy showed up at Carolyn's apartment that night, ready to confess her feeling once again, but was rejected. And Caroline probably had told her that she had a boyfriend and wasn't interested in Kathy. But Kathy couldn't handle the rejection and had killed Carolyn. Either way, Kathy was the prime suspect in Carolyn's murder. When Tamayuki finds out the involvement of Kathy and Sanjay in Carolyn's murder, he was horrified. Remember, he stayed with both women after he arrived in Seoul shortly after Carolyn's death. South Korea made diplomatic requests to have Kathy return to the capital to stand trial for the murder of Carolyn Abel, but he wasn't successful due to the lack of an extradition treaty between the two countries. In the U.S., Carolyn's family pursued justice. But the U.S. attorney in Washington state told them that Kathy didn't commit a crime in the U.S. and there was no reason to arrest her for a murder, which is unbelievable and rightfully upsetting to the family. Carolyn was buried on New Year's Eve of 1989 after her family had to work really hard to bring her back to the U.S. Carolyn's family believed that Kathy is responsible for the murder of Carolyn and returned to the U.S. because she knew she would eventually get caught in South Korea. Carolyn's family were afraid that Kathy would actually target them because of the letters that she sent to Carolyn's family, in which she said that she was Carolyn's closest friend and that she would like to meet the family. For their part, the South Korean government did not give up seeking justice for Carolyn. They still had an arrest warrant for Kathy in South Korea and, and even asked the U.S. government to help them. In 1989, they asked Steven Schroeder to help. He was a retired assistant U.S. attorney who was working in Seattle. He worked alongside Detective Boatwright and the FBI to question Kathy. She was willing to speak to them with her lawyer present. When presented with the questions, Kathy denied killing Carolyn and said Sandra was simply lying, but she never said Sandra killed Carolyn either. Under oath, she denied ever having feelings for Carolyn. They weren't buying her story and wanted to investigate further, but they knew that their only strategy might be to arrest her for false statements, perjury, and obstruction of justice. Though lie detector tests are not admissible in court, she still took the test and showed signs of deception. With an arrest warrant for murder hanging over her head, Kathy was free to leave after the interview and went back to her life in Washington. To add more salt to the wound for Carolyn's family, Sandra was also freed from the South Korean prison after only serving six months of her one-year sentence. Get this, guys. The reason she was freed was because someone bribed a judge to get her out, and she doesn't deny it at all. How crazy is that? The person who bribed the judge has never been mentioned. After returning to the U.S., Sandra was recruited to work with the FBI undercover to record a confession from Kathy. When Sandra showed up in Kathy's house, she denied even knowing what Sandra was talking about. Without the recorded confession, the FBI couldn't even charge her with perjury. South Korea believed it was a U.S. problem because both suspects were back in the U.S. Carolyn's family were doing everything they could. According to Wanda, Carolyn's sister, their father contacted every congressman and senator and tried to get media attention by writing to news stations to pressure the U.S. government to charge Kathy. 
Kathy continued to live her life in Bellingham, Washington, where she worked as a student advisor at Western Washington University for 18 years. She turned down requests to be interviewed with 48 Hours because talking about Carolyn's murder was too painful for her. This didn't stop Peter Vincent, a correspondent from 48 Hours. He shows up at Kathy's office and asks about the evidence against her, but she insists that she is innocent and that she didn't know what happened after she had found Carolyn's body. This was the first time that she has spoken publicly about Carolyn in over 30 years. Now, Kathy was pointing the finger at Sandra for being the murderer and that she knew nothing about any of it. She becomes agitated when she's asked about if she had any feelings for Carolyn. Um, and Sandra wasn't shocked to hear that Kathy was willing to point the finger at her and she was willing to testify in court against Kathy for the murder of Carolyn. That seems unlikely now because the statute of limitations for murder in South Korea expired and the physical evidence in the case was destroyed as investigators told Carolyn's family. The evidence would have been extremely important to a trial in the U.S. Due to the hard work of the Abel family, in 1994, Congress passed a law that allowed the U.S. to prosecute U.S. citizens who killed other U.S. citizens in foreign nations. The new law helped prosecute three murderers. Though Carolyn and her family never received the justice they deserved, they helped to make sure the nightmare they experienced will not be faced by any other family seeking justice for their loved one. At the time of her murder, 26-year-old Caroline was only in Seoul for a few months when she was killed in her apartment. It was said that Caroline loved being in South Korea and loved the people. Caroline was described by friends and colleagues in South Korea as someone who enjoyed meeting new people and who was open-minded. Her family members remember her as an adventurous and energetic person who will live on in their memories. That's it for this week's case. If you want to discuss this case in more detail, please join the Facebook page and don't forget to check us out on Instagram where I'll be posting extra content from this episode. Links to social media accounts can be found in this episode description and don't forget to check us out as well and support us on Patreon. This episode has been researched, written and produced by me, your host Kat. Join me next week as we dive into another true crime case. This is Crimes Untold. Stay safe, friends.